All right, all right, all right. Good morning, everybody. Come on, this is the lively bunch. I love it. Man, it's so good to be in the house with you, worshiping and get ready to hear the word. You know, I was on the phone with Pastor Josh, and uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Stephanie are actually at a missions conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They are uh, with pastors Mark and Janet Brzee, who are no strangers to us, and they have their missions conference this week, and it has to be something church-related because nobody really goes to Tulsa for anything other than something church-related, or is that just me? Uh, Anyway, they send their love. They said they miss you guys, but they will be back next week in the pulpit, Uh, and so because they'll be back next week, you didn't know that I was going to be here, so now you're here. You can't go anywhere. And so don't hold anything to me. Like, you can blame it all on me and just say, Pastor Josh, don't leave again. Like, whatever, whatever it takes. But uh, it's so good to be with you. Last week, seriously, how many of you were here for the All Nations picnic? Like, did we have so much fun Lastly, it was great. Like, it's always great to be in service with everybody, but there's something about being outside and people that would come to first and come to second is like, now it's like, oh, you still come here. It's because I haven't seen you in like forever, but it's like people were bringing their, bringing their, 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 we said, bring a picnic lunch for your family. But there were some people, they were like, well, I've got enough to share with everybody. And so me and Philip, we were able to make our rounds and taste test everything. And, but I was like, I got home, I, wasn't even, I didn't even need dinner because I was so full. But it was just such a great time. You know, uh, when I was at the end of it, when I was getting ready to turn, uh, 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 unplug the, the bouncy houses, I go over and I'm, you know, letting the kids know, I guess it was my responsibility to give the bad news. And I'm, I'm letting them know, it's like, I'm sorry, kids, you know, this is going to be it because we have to close it down. We've got to get things moving. And, and the kids looked at me like, if you touch that inflatable, it's going to be me and you. Like, and it was, I thought there was going to be a revolt. Like, seriously, these kids were like, don't play with my bouncy house. It's like, you don't know me like that. I am not that saved. Okay. <laughs> And so I honestly, I felt like, all right, we need to give them a few more minutes just so they can find who Jesus is again. And like, seriously, it was just one of those things. But I invited a friend of mine who's actually one of my neighbors too. And he came with his son and he was floored by the fact that so many different people from so many different backgrounds seemed so happy. And I was like, is that foreign? Like, to me, that's, that's just who we are. Like, that's what we do. And he said, it was so nice to be in an environment and to look around. He said, everybody was so happy, so supportive. They were so friendly. And this is somebody who, who doesn't go to church, like grew up Catholic. And I've been inviting him and he's going to be here soon. Watch, I, I got him. And so, so, but the fact that he came and he saw what was going on that night when I was talking with them, I was like, you know, that's not like something we, it's not a front, like that's just who we are. Like that's IFC, that's our people, that's, I told them, I was like, that's what heaven looks like. I don't know if you've heard of heaven, but that's what it looks like when you get these many, this many people who will, who will support each other, who will cheer each other on, who will, who will um, just show their 
their culture and like it was awesome to see the ladies dancing and people playing their instruments and the different types of foods and it was just it was incredible for us it was a highlight it was a win when we debriefed we came up with more ideas on what to do more and how do we make this thing go longer? Because we realized two o'clock, we were, if we had let you, you'd have stayed till four or five o'clock. And then we would have really been, we'd have to call the cops. Like, y'all gotta get them off the ground. Like, please get these people out of here. But no, seriously, we had so much fun. Thank you for coming out and being a part of it. And I know others were on vacation and things like that. You missed out. You wait till next year. It's all good. Check out Instagram if you follow us and it's all good. But it was just, it was such a good time. And I know both of our pastors uh, were just overjoyed by the show and what happened on that day. It was, it was really, it was, it was incredible. You should give yourselves a hand. Like we just, to let, to have people come here who've not been here before and to feel that way when they left, it really shows Jesus. Like that's what it's all about, about Jesus. You know, um, why don't we go ahead and open up a word of prayer and then we're going to get to the word. Like I feel like God is really uh, impressed some things on my heart and, and I want to share it. Uh, and so let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, it continues to change us, to rejuvenate us, to inspire us. Lord, the more we get in, the more we know about who you are and what you're about. Father, I thank you that this word will not uh, fall on deaf ears, but Father, everybody here has hearts wide open, ready to receive what it is that you want to speak. So we thank you. We love you. And we look forward to all that you're going to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, we're going to, let's get to the word. I want to uh, start in Matthew 16. In verse, and we're going to go 13 to 19. It's a little long, but stay with me. It says, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this question. What are the people saying about me, the son of man? Who do they believe I am? They answered, some are convinced you are John the baptizer. Others say you are Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and on this, in this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. And so Jesus is asking two questions, but Peter's answer, he says, upon this rock, not upon Peter, but it's the revelation that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of God. He is Jesus the Christ. And he said, upon this, I will build my church. And this is the message of the church. And so I want to go back to this two questions that were asked here. And he says, who do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? I believe these two questions are forever linked together because you almost can't answer the one without the other. See, back then I was, try I was trying to think of this uh, and trying to figure out why Jesus waited 
So they got to Caesarea Philippi. And what I realized is when I read is it's a pagan city. They worshiped all other gods, but Jesus wasn't who they worshiped. And so he gets to this place and he's asking the disciples. And the other question I had is, Jesus, okay, you have up to this point, you've walked on water, you've healed the sick, you've fed 5,000, you have uh, 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 delivered people from sins, you have, um, you've done all these things, right? It's like, if you've done it, why ask them this question? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Of course they know who you are. They've seen you do it. Matter of fact, the disciples have been sent in his name to do just such. And it's like, but why are we asking the question? It's almost as if the disciples were just walking blind and could, had no clue what they were doing. Possible. I doubt it. But I really think that Jesus, who is known for asking questions to get you to think. He's known for asking questions just to, to get you to, to, to ponder, to process, to really understand uh, why. Why do you believe what you believe? Why am I asking this question? You know, it's, it's not because... He's, Jesus is forgetful. It's not because he uh, uh, is, is, is fishing for compliments. It's not like he needs them to say he is the Christ, that he is the anointed one. Like he's not that guy, but yet he's asking a question because he's wanting to provoke thought. And he's wanting to think, it's like, okay, we've done all this. Now we are in an environment where people don't know about this. Like, Obviously, your questions weren't what Peter said. What they thought was obviously wrong. And so I think about these questions of why, when I read these scriptures, why do these two questions keep like they're in bold? Who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And I came across these statistics that are, to me are just disturbing. Lifeway, Lifeway research firm did a survey in 2020. It says they, they found that 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more. Hmm, really? In 2021, and these stats, they just happened. Like, probe ministries revealed more than 60% of born-again Christians between the ages of 18 to 39 believe that Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad are all equal in regards to a path of salvation. Turn to your neighbor and say, what? Come on. How is that even, what? That's not what my Bible says. Like, really, the Bible, there's only one book that says there's one way to heaven. So I'm not sure where they got all this from. But if you go on further, it says less than half of those surveyed strongly agreed that Jesus died to redeem us and will return to save us. And I, 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 now I'm understanding, it's like, okay, God, these questions are important for us because we're supposed to be moving forward and it seems like Christianity is moving backwards. And that's not how it ought to be. And so I wonder, where do we miss it? Where are we missing it? And where is the church? What is going on that that the church believes that now no longer Jesus is the only way, that, that not the church, that, that those who are, are seeking something greater than them, and they have this belief that Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha all equal? 
like in, my, in the past. Like that's craziness. And so this question of who do men say that I am and who do you say that I am, they work together. And we, and we know that we are helping to lead people to Jesus. We are to know him and make him known. Everybody say, I want to know him and I want to make him known. First John 4, 15 to 21 says, those who give thanks that Jesus is the son of God live in God and God lives in them. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love and we trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God. And I love this. And God lives through them. Isn't that what we want? We want to love God so much that he lives through each and every one of us. He lives through them. Verse 17 says, by living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear for fear is always related to punishment, but love's perfection drives the fear of punishment from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is great is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say I love God yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can't see, how can you truly love God who you can't see? For he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. And that's when we come back to the question, who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? Because if we are representing Jesus's love, then we love all people, we love others. And the message that is being sent by our life, the how we live is letting people know who Jesus is. And there isn't a question of whether Jesus loved me. He said, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, right? And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, how amazing. So this love thing, it can be hard. Like some people, some situations, it's just hard to love, but it's not about us because the more we pursue him, love gets easier because we see things the way he sees them. Because Jesus loves us and we're in pursuit of him, we now understand his love. We now have a full grasp of that love so that he is not only uh, living in us, he is living through us. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's living through you. See, knowing Jesus loves me and cares for me and wants me to live this life to the full is the motivator to know him. And love is the reason why I want others to know about him. It's the motivator, the fact that he loves me. He loves me. He loves you. That's the motivator. I need to know this Jesus. I need to know this Jesus. The responsibility of being a Christ follower is not always easy. Let's be honest. If it was easy, everybody could do it. Like it takes work. It takes consistency. It takes discipline. But in the end, 
there's freedom, there's growth, there's eternity. Like we think about all that comes with it if we are willing to put the work in to know him, to follow Jesus, right? Everybody say amen. Amen. Even uh, non-believers believe that Christians are trying to follow Jesus. Like even they know. We're trying to follow Jesus. And, and I'll say this, the crappy part sometimes is that when people find out you're a Christian, they hold you to this unrealistic standard, yeah. right? It's like all of a sudden, because you're following Jesus, because you gave your heart to him and you go to church, you have it all together. Like you, you just automatically, you don't get to make mistakes. You don't get to be human. You always have to have it right. And, and it's frustrating but turn to your neighbor and say, just get over it. (laughs) Right? Like, what do we do about it? Like, it's unrealistic, but if we are truly in pursuit of him, when we ask ourselves the question, who do I say Jesus is? I can answer that question wholeheartedly. And then I can look at the question of who do men say that Jesus is? And I can look at my own life, my own walk, And I can say with certainty, or I can say, I've got work to do. But either way, I'm making progress. Either way, we are working towards something that draws people closer to our Heavenly Father. Right? Amen? And so so it may be unrealistic to hold us to these standards, but so be it. Like when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he didn't say, come follow me to a pajama party. Right? He knew it was going to be hard, and you're going to have to work for it. And people, if Jesus can't save them all, we can't either. There's the pressures off. So now we can only do what we do. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to follow him. I am going to go deeper in him, and then I'm going to lead as many people as I can to him. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'm going to give you a couple more stats. And they don't get better, okay? 84% of participants in a new 2022 Jesus in America study conducted by the global Ipsos, I don't even know why I read that. You guys don't need to know that. It's agreed that Jesus was an important spiritual figure. Now the bad news, while 50% of not religious Americans accepted this important spiritual figure language, they were much less impressed with the believers who represent Jesus. Mm. Much less impressed. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, now you're talking about my people. Like, we are supposed to be the ones that represent Jesus. That when people see us, they say, that is who I want to emulate. That's who I want to be like. That's the Jesus I want to be. And I'm not saying that, you know, when they do these stats, they don't literally poll everyone in America. It's just kind of a consensus. So, so I have to imagine that there are people who have just encountered the wrong individuals. People who are still trying to figure it out, have not quite there, and they're holding them to a standard that's just not realistic. And, but each and every one of us, we are in a place where we are to self-evaluate and say, okay, has my example fit into that where they are not impressed with me or impressed with my Jesus. Because if that's the case, then we just have work to do. 
right? Everybody say, we got work to do. Like, it's not to me meant to point figure or anything. It just means in this day and age, in our culture, we want to draw as many people to Jesus as possible. And so if he is pointing out these two questions, that just means he wants us to take some time to think about how we are living this life, how we are, uh, 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 how we are pursuing Jesus, and how are we making him known. Yeah. Amen? amen? Everybody say amen. amen. Everybody say, I'm a work in progress. We are a work in progress. I get it. We, Jesus gets it. Like when, when, when uh, Jesus gave his life, he gave it with no expectations. Like he knew you may not love him back, but he was willing to give his life anyway. You know, Jesus, he made it throughout the book of John. He made these um, I am statements and we've heard them before, but I want, I want to go over a few of them. In John 8, 12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And I was thinking about that. You know, we, we talk about shepherds and I've never raised sheep. I've never been a shepherd. I don't know any shepherds, but all I know is what I've heard. And so the shepherds, you know, their responsibility is to take care of their flock of sheep. Not anybody else is just theirs. And so the sheep know who they are. And so it's the shepherd's responsibility to protect them, to feed them, get them out in the field and get some exercise. Whatever the sheep need, it's the shepherd's responsibility to take care of that. And, and the other thing I know, and I, and, and I guess it's true, I, I heard it, so I'm going to take it at face value, is that you could have uh, a couple different flocks of sheep all mingling in the same field, but when the shepherd calls, only his sheep know his voice and only his sheep come. And so I thought it was pretty cool because Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, that we would know his voice. But even more than that, that he would protect his sheep, that we can trust him to take care of us, to protect us, to provide for us, to be there for us, to make sure that we don't wander off and get lost but he is the good shepherd. In uh, John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, or anybody else. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And I don't know why people have such a hard time with this, but it, if you want to get to heaven... Eternity is with Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we're going to get there. Then we have to, when, when somebody says, uh, you know, but I heard that, you know, Muhammad and Buddha and it's like, sorry, you're wrong. Like, I just, that's where I stand. You're wrong. That's not where it stands. That's, that's not what my Bible says. And so Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come on. Everybody say amen. 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 See, I, I believe it's great that uh, we know Jesus personally. But what about those who only know Jesus from their experience with us? What about them? See, that, that, as, I'm, as, I'm, as I was reading this, I'm like, 
this is such a hard pill to swallow. It is because you think that I've, I'm, I got this, but it just makes me realize like, I've got more work to do. Like, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. See, when we received Christ, when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, and we were told that you have eternity in heaven, you know right now because you've accepted Jesus, and it's all true, that you have assurances of living in heaven. But as I was thinking and I was asking God, you know, you ever read through the scriptures and you just keep asking why? You're like that little toddler that, you know, you give instructions and they say, but why? But why? But why? But why? And then you just lose your lid because you're just like, stop asking why. I love that you want why, but please just do it. But I'm asking is like, but why? And, and this eternity. And uh, when I'm thinking about those that are far from God, when I think about these statistics, you know, I can't remember the last time somebody came to me and said, how do I get eternity? How do I get to heaven? Most people are trying to figure out, how do I just have a better life? Yeah. Like, seriously, what can I do right now just to get through this day because I am at a loss. I am depressed. I am, uh, I'm struggling. And, and, and I, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, okay, God, what is it that we need to tell people about you that speaks to them and will draw them closer to you? Amen. You know, I was thinking about the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. It says, uh, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like that's the promise I want to stand on. Not that someday, which is great, don't get me wrong. I love that we have eternity and I don't have to worry about where I go when I die. But right now, I want to know and I know there are those, I'm sure all of them want to know, how do I get that heaven on earth though? Like, how do I tap into that? Because that's what his promise is for us. If that's his promise for us, that's his promise for everybody. And so we, are, we have a, a, a society of people who are trying to figure it all out and they're looking for enlightenment and they're looking for a higher power and they're looking for all these things, right? And it's like, just I do that again? Um, they're looking for all these things and what they don't realize is they're just looking for Jesus. Like seriously, all that they need is in Jesus. But how will they know? How will the people know if we don't say something. And I firmly believe that we have work to do that. Who we are and how we live is how they will know who Jesus is. And so as I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, I'm sure there's lots of things that speak to people, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through seven, okay? Not eight, not six, I'm gonna go through seven. And I, I don't know why I thought that. I was like, I'm going to say seven. And somebody will say, well, you really should just make it eight and even it out. And I'm feeling like someone's getting triggered already. And so I seven, and then I want you to figure out the eighth. How about that? Um, okay. And so, so I'm thinking about these seven things. What speaks to those who don't know Jesus? What speaks to those? So my first one, love. 
love. We have so uh, ruined what love is. Like society has killed it. Like nobody knows what real love is anymore. But in John 3, 16, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I can share that with somebody and let them know that, you know what? Nobody else may love you. Jesus loves you. He literally gave his life for you with zero expectation back that you would love him back. Like that's love. Like he gave his life. Unconditional love, simply put, is love without strings attached. Think about this. Jesus gave his life. If there was something to be shared to somebody who is just struggling, who's not feeling loved and appreciated and just, just not feeling like a part of a family or a group, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And because Jesus loves you, I love you. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Like that's love. The second one, forgiveness. Now this is a hard one because people will justify all day long why they have the right to hold unforgiveness. You don't know what they did to me. Like neck and all. I'm like, then you don't know what Jesus' word says. Like seriously, forgiveness. You know, in Matthew 18, 21 to 35, we have uh, Peter is asking, he's like, Lord, if someone does me wrong, I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not going to read too many scriptures. I'll paraphrase this one. He said, Lord, if, if somebody does me wrong, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? And he was like, yeah, I said seven times, not once, not twice. And Jesus is like, got it wrong, bro. Seventy times seven. So what he's saying is, you don't have the right to hold unforgiveness. And then he goes on to tell the story. He goes, let me tell you a story about a king who was calling in all his debts. He's loaned out all this money. He's like, it's time for y'all to pay the piper. Bring me my money. And so one of his servants comes and, and he doesn't have his money. And so, he, so the king is like, okay, then you and your family, y'all, y'all all going to jail. So you can figure it out. And the man begged him. Begged him, have mercy on me, forgive me, forgive my debt, I'm trying, yada, yada, yada. Like everything that you would say that if you were like, I'll do anything not to go to jail, right? And so he forgave his debt. The king was like, you know what? I feel good about this. It's like, for some reason, I just have a good feeling about you. He's like, I'm gonna forgive this debt. And so that man goes off and he goes to see somebody that owes him money. And then he has the nerve, turn to your neighbor, say the nerve to hold this man and say, I'm going to put you in jail until you can come up with my money. Now, I imagine if the dude is already borrowing money, he couldn't possibly lend that much money. So this is much less, but it's like, dude, seriously, you just got all this forgiven and you have the nerve, the audacity. You see, like those school words, audacity. (laughs) to do this to somebody else. And so they, somebody, uh, some of the servants were, were like, I can't believe it. They were ticked off. And so they go back to the king and the king was like, okay, fine. Is that how you want to be? So we're going back on our deal. Now you have to go to jail. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, there is no room for unforgiveness because if trouble follows, if the, if the consequences 
are so great in this story, who am I to think that my, my not forgiving, my unforgiveness would not carry some of the same consequences? It's important that we are willing to forgive no matter how many times it takes. But if Jesus could forgive us, you, me, like seriously, I look back and I'm like, if you can forgive me, I can forgive everybody. I'm forgiving everybody because I do not want that coming back to me. It's like, I grew up in church, but there was a season when I wasn't that saved. And I have to look back and say, only by the grace of God, that I can live this life. And so we have to be willing to forgive, no strings attached. All right, the next one, number three, peace. This is a good one, peace. Because this society right now, like everybody's just on edge. It's like, y'all need Jesus so bad. It's like, (laughs) peace. And so in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. As you live in Christ Jesus. Peace. The Bible says that we can have peace that passes all understanding. That peace that just doesn't make any sense. It's that peace that, you know, people look at you and you're sh- thinking that, you know, everything, all hell is breaking loose, but yet, you're calm, almost like you know something. So yeah, I know something, it's not just something, I know who, I know someone. And because I know Jesus, and Jesus said he would take care of me, that's where I hang my hat. Like I could get worried, but what's worry gonna get me? It gets me nowhere. Gets me a whole lot of complaining, and most people don't wanna listen to complaining, so I'm talking, I'm complaining myself. I'm not about that, but when we look at those who are around us and in our lives and in our workplaces and our, in our schools and we're at neighborhoods and they just see this, I don't know what it is. Everything looks like it's going bad, but yet you're calm, cool, and collected. That's Jesus. Only Jesus could provide that. When you know who your Jesus is, you're cool. Turn to somebody and say, I'm cool. I'm cool. Come on. I'm cool. So, all right, number five. I'm, I got five minutes left-ish. I shouldn't have told you. Now you're going to hold me to it. All right, number four, generosity. Now, I'm going to say this. I feel like generosity, of all the things I'm going to name, love and generosity are the, are the two things I feel like IFC got this. Like, we got generosity. Like, we know how to take care of people. Let's look at the scripture. Proverbs 22.9 says, Happy are generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. Generous people take great joy in being a blessing to others. That's IFC. I feel like that's us. I don't know about the church at large, but I know that we take care of people. When you think about the, all the opportunities we have, whether it's Place of Promise or all the organizations we, we work, uh, worked with uh, on Serve Day or uh, the Merrimack Valley Dream Center or uh, the Honduras uh, Dream Center or all these places where people are in need and IFC always steps up to be generous to help those in need. Right. Talking about bringing Jesus 
Like people recognize that. It's like you don't have to give. I talk, again, I talk to my neighbor all the time and we talk about church and things like that. And I let him know it's like, because he goes to a Catholic church and he's like, you know, the thing that frustrates me is I never know where my money's going. I give and I just don't know where it's going. I'm like, yeah, that won't happen at IFC. So I will tell you everywhere it's going because we want you to know you are making a difference in the world and in our community. We are making sure that we are Jesus to the people. And so, so generosity, we got this. Think about the Teacher's Appreciation Week when we did the, the gift baskets, right, Laura? Gift baskets, and we did a breakfast for them, and uh, we did a luncheon for them. It's like, we are letting them know that we love them and that Jesus loves them. You know, when I was uh, also thinking about when in the Bible where it talks about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, and I see that Jesus is, um, uh, uh, he, they're needing to feed the people, and so he said, just spread them out, put them in groups of 10 or so. And he said, whatever we got, five loaves, two small fish. And he says, and I'm going to bless it. And I imagine Jesus is blessing it. And he's not like, Lord, my God in heaven, my heavenly father, multiply this so everybody has enough to eat. It's like, no, no, no. They left with 12 baskets full. And what's so funny is, there were no refrigerators or anything. It's like, that stuff is just going to go bad <laughs> unless you can just eat it fast. Like, but it didn't matter. He's a generous God. More than enough, more than you need. But that's what he wants to do. That is what speaks to people. The next one, number five, joy. Proverbs 10, 28, joy speaks to people because there is so much joy lacking that we need to be an example of what that is. Uh, Proverbs 10, 28 says, the expectations of the righteous result in joy, but the hopes of the wicked will perish. I don't know if you saw it, about a month ago, there was a, a press conference with the University of Oklahoma uh, women's softball team. They are absolutely crushing college softball, beating everybody that comes in their way. And, and so they had a press conference and one of the guys were asking, he was like, okay, you guys are on a 58, 48. You got a great memory. 48 game win streak. And now everybody's coming after you. Everybody's looking at you guys. And how is it with all of this winning, how do you keep the joy in playing? Because, you know, I guess if you win so much, it gets boring. Like, I don't know. But it's saying, how do you keep the joy? And the first girl, she says, well, really joy only comes from Jesus. And I was like, come on, girl, say that again. It's like, somebody rewind that video. She said, only joy comes in Jesus. And then one girl after the other, it was like, she's absolutely right. Only joy comes from Jesus. It doesn't matter if we lose. Like, people are looking for happiness, and, you know, happiness, they said, happiness is, 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 is uh, temporary. It, go, it comes and goes, but they said, joy comes from Jesus. And I was like, man, that is so good. They said, it doesn't matter. We could lose tomorrow, and it's okay, because I have a different outlook on life. I don't, I'm not defined by what I do on this field. And I was like, these girls, they got it. They got it. It was so real. But this joy, this joy speaks to those who don't know Jesus. 
that joy gives us opportunity because people want to know, how is it you're not losing your mind? Number six, patience. Everybody say patience. Because this is the one everybody's thinking, oh, he's talking to me now. <laughs> it's like you just cringed. It's like patience. Ephesians 4, 2 says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. If only they would, if only they would hold us to that. It's like, just understand I'm a work in progress. But think about people who are a work in progress, I, I would rather them be here because I know that we love people enough to walk them through and to walk with them and to love them and be patient with them. I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, no, nobody tests our patience like our kids. And if you don't have kids, it's probably your nieces, your nephews, it's, but think about it. They just test our patience. I remember growing up and the phrase I always heard was, boy, don't test my patience. Boy, you are trying me. And I'm like, wow, patience. So as I was thinking about patience, I came across, I, I remembered this story. My daughter, Olivia, my beautiful princess, she was probably four years old and her and Amy, my wife Amy, were at Target and they were just shopping and everything and they're getting in line to pay for everything. And so Olivia just had this thing about wanting to just get in the way. Like she's just stood in the aisle and nobody could get by. And I guess there was a gentleman who was off to the side trying to get by and Amy's like, Olivia, move, Olivia, move, Olivia, move. She finally moves. And as he walks by, he says, well, you're rude. And I was like, he said, what? It's like Amy called and she was, I couldn't believe he said that, a grown man. First of all, she's a child, right? Let's have some, some patience with her. But then it was, but also at that moment, I realized my daughter will never be one to mess with. She is always going to defend herself because as he walks by and says, well, you're rude, my daughter turns around and she says, well, you're ugly. And I was like, now, now I do have to say this. I don't co-sign that attitude, okay? Am I proud that she stuck up for herself? Yes. Did we have a conversation of how to deal with mean people? Yes. But I was assured that day, don't mess with that Christmas because she will get you. <laughs> but think about patience. There are always people that are going to test it and we're going to have to just understand they're a work in progress. We are a work in progress. So the same way that we want people to, to, to extend some grace, we should extend that to others. And the last one, and I probably could use that story on this one, kindness. Number seven, kindness. Matthew 5, 43 to 47 says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true, as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Let's stand with me for, as we close. And I'm thinking about this kindness. Like kindness really shows, like, let's be honest, it really is evident and shows it's like out there when you can do it to somebody you don't like. 
Especially when people see, it's like, I know you don't like them, but yet you still go out of your way to do something nice for them, to help them. Like, think about that. That's when kindness shines. He's right. Anybody can be kind to somebody you love. Like, we're great with people we love. We're Jesus all the way through with people we love. But it's the people we don't love. It's like, ooh. You know, I'm always thinking about opportunity. Every morning I'm praying, it's like, God, just give me an opportunity to be used by you. Whether it's speaking to somebody, whether it's a handshake, a hug, or maybe it's just a conversation. But we're always a work in progress looking to do more, draw, looking to draw closer to Jesus so that he not only lives in us, but lives through us. Everybody say, I am a work in progress. We are works in progress. My prayer is that I don't get in the way of someone else coming to Jesus. That's a real thing. I don't want to get in the way of someone coming to Jesus. So I encourage you, take these two questions. They're worth writing down just as a reminder. Who do I say Jesus is? But even more than that, who do people say Jesus is? I'm not saying this, this, this message is not about going out and saving the world, but what about your circle? What about your circle? Like, what are we doing in that circle where I can say, I know I represent Jesus to them? And if I would have, if, if, if anyone was so bold to ask their friends, the friends that know you go to church, the friends that know you love Jesus, the friends that know you, you're pursuing him, what if we ask them, well, you've, you've seen me and you know how much I love Jesus and I go to church. What would be your take on who Jesus is? Like, we may be surprised and we may be like, okay. <laughs> if nothing else, I'm like, I know I've got work to do. I'm a work in progress. But I know I love Jesus, and I know I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to do the work to know him and make him known. I'm willing to do the work. I think about what we do here as a church. No matter all the volunteer teams, they come week in and week out, and they serve because they love Jesus, they love people, and they're committed to, to, to leading people to Jesus. I think about our kids world workers. You know, there's this uh, shortage. We don't have as many kids world workers as we need so that all of our kids can be led to Jesus. And I'm like, what they do up there leads the next generation to Jesus. Like, this has to happen in this house. I feel like if we're not doing it here, then where are we doing it? Like, I think about our youth. I think about even our, our, our not even, but our guest services and ushers, like what they do is help lead people to Jesus. Our parking lot team, like everybody is here. And when you come, you feel welcome. You feel at home. You feel like this is where Jesus resides. Jesus has a place here. That's that atmosphere. And that's that attitude that we not only have here, but we get to take with us. That's what he's asking. Who do men say that I am? And only we can answer it for ourselves. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, we're committed to knowing you. We're committed to doing the work. In our heart, we just want to draw closer to you. But Father, we're not just doing it for us because there's those in our lives who need to be exposed to you. We put our our own issues aside. We put our own problems aside because we've already settled that you've got our back. You take care of our every need. You're always taking care of us. But right now, I want you to shine through each and every one of us. When we leave here, we're not ashamed of who Jesus is. We may not always have the words, but we do have the actions. Father, thank you for loving us so much. You know, you may stand here with eyes still closed, but you may be here. And as we talk about Jesus and all that he wants to do in you and through you and all that he wants to be a part of in your life, it all comes down to Jesus. It all comes down to, are you willing to open up your heart and accept him as your Lord and Savior? And I want to give you that invitation. I don't want you to leave without the opportunity to say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up and put it back down. If you, if you need this Jesus that we talk about, you can put your hand up and put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Probably the most important part of any service because we get to lead people to Jesus. Anybody else? All right, repeat after me. We're going to pray, and uh, we're going to pray together as a family. But those of you who raise your hands, I want you to say this with your whole heart, like deep in your soul that you, you believe this. Say, Jesus, this is my day. I give you my heart. Everything that is in me is surrendered to you. I ask you to forgive me for doing it wrong. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I commit this day to you. And every day moving forward, I commit to knowing you and making you known. Thank you for giving your life for me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.